0: The passage we're going to study today is a good example of hidden messages in plain sight. The depth and breadth of the gospel message coming from this remarkable slice of church history known in our Bible as the Acts of the Apostles. About three months ago, some of you were aware that the government of the United Kingdom, the British government, established a new position in their cabinet. This new ministry position became known and is called now the Minister of Loneliness. Now, some of you think that sounds sort of like a Monty Python movie or skit. Those of you that remember Monty Python. And when I first heard about it, I actually thought it was a joke. But in fact, what the government of Great Great Britain has recognized and that many other Western governments and societies are beginning to come to grips with is the crisis that we now are experiencing in our world today particularly in Western societies and that is what they're calling the crisis of loneliness that many of us increasingly are feeling isolated in our lives partly due to social media partly due to the way our our jobs are beginning to expand, partly due to what the economy is is doing, the the the, the matrix of, of a globalized economy that is becoming increasingly complex and confusing for many people, and the reality and tragedy of isolation and the resulting loneliness is at epidemic proportions. So the government of Great Britain has established a ministry. Of loneliness. For me, this is fascinating, and it's vitally important for the church of today to take seriously the world that we are a part of and the realities that confront us. Our scripture today from the eighth chapter of Acts involves two people. The first is named Philip. The second is unnamed, but the description of this individual is quite clear. We will look at both of them, starting with Philip. Some of you may recall that Philip doesn't just emerge out of the the mist. He actually was one of the deacons chosen in the sixth chapter of Acts. As one of the seven deacons, he had responsibility in that early church to help ease and repair some of the divisions that had been Graphically experienced in that early church experience. It's important for some of us to realize that churches like ours and others are not the only ones that experience some tensions from time to time. The very first gathering of believers had a lot of trouble getting along initially. Philip was one of the ones that was called out by the church to be a deacon, to be a peacemaker, to be somebody who was called to make sure that no one fell through the cracks and that everyone felt included and loved. But an additional tragedy happened at the church in Jerusalem. As we continue reading in this backstory of the 6th chapter and the 7th chapter of Acts, a horrible persecution begins to take place, and people like Philip, who were considered in that time and place minorities because of the languages that they spoke, Philip was a Greek-speaking Jewish person, And because of the prejudice that was weighed in upon those who were a little bit different, a horrible persecution takes place. And Philip is one of the many, many, many people from that early church who become what we would call today refugees. Philip finds himself fleeing for his life. And if you know about refugees, there are many around our community today they leave what they have with nothing but the clothes on their backs. Many of them scarred and traumatized from experiences that they're fleeing from. Philip was one of those people, if you read these two chapters, the sixth and seventh chapter of Acts, this is traumatic stuff. These are people who are not just being thrown in prison, they're being tortured and killed. Philip is running for his life. He's a refugee and he has nothing. And the Spirit in the eighth chapter of Acts describes or calls upon Philip in this moment of trauma. Now it's very interesting how this unfolds. This individual who has every reason to be bitter and frightened and angry listens to what the Holy Spirit has to say. And according to our scripture, it says, go to this place and be open to the person that you're going to encounter. So Philip, this refugee, sees a chariot coming along. And in the chariot is this fascinating person The Bible gives no name, but gives a vivid description. He is called an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, the the description gives us some very important pieces to a puzzle as we work through this story. Ethiopia, in those days, was a a country, as it is today, sort of in, in the Mediterranean world, kind of hanging off the map in the sense that people didn't have a whole lot of interaction with folks from this part of Africa. But Philip is cognizant that something is going on because, interestingly, he hears him reading. He's coming back from Jerusalem on this wilderness road that is going through what today we know as the Gaza Strip. It's along the the Mediterranean Sea. And this Ethiopian eunuch returning from Jerusalem has a scroll. What we find out, just in these brief words, is first of all, this person who's unnamed but very vividly described is open to, to the movement of God in his life. He's been to Jerusalem to conduct business and, the Bible says, to worship. He's not Jewish. He's not yet Christian. But he's very curious about faith. In today's vernacular, we would call him Spiritual. He's open to what may be going on with God's Spirit around him. He is reading, and this is our second clue about him. He's got got some sense of of, uh, wherewithal, he's got some money. Not everybody could afford to own their own books, or in this case, scroll. He's also educated. He's reading to himself. Now, some of you may have picked up on the fact that he's reading how. He's reading out loud, which in those days, those people who could read, about five to ten percent of the Roman world could read, and those who could read read out loud. This was the way you did it. It's very was then very unusual for someone to read silently. Thankfully, we've changed that now. But in those days. You read out loud. And so Philip hears him reading and recognizes that he's reading from what? The Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah. He's reading from chapter 53 and he's reading about what we in Christian circles have said is the the, the Isaiah prophecy or the prophet speaking about, in those days, Israel's ministry to the world in our Christian vernacular or perspective. Today we say this now has morphed into what we understand to be Jesus calling and then the calling for all of us. Philip hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading. He has been attuned to the spirit and is is ready and willing to interact with this stranger from a faraway place who looks very different and sounds very different. And so he says to him, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch responds, how can I, if no one is going to help me read through this and interpret? So Philip steps into the chariot and they continue on the way together and Philip begins to tell him about Jesus. It is a beautiful moment where a man who has every right to be resentful for the state of his life, somehow in his resiliency and openness to the spirit becomes a vessel of good news. Through Philip, he shares with this man the gospel of Jesus Christ. And upon hearing it, this fascinating stranger from Africa says some very important things. Words now. Before we get there, let's pause and just recognize what we're hearing. We're celebrating beginnings. At least I hope we're celebrating beginnings in this church. We're recognizing at least a new chapter in the life of this congregation. And some of you may already have stopped the celebration, but but I'm still (laughs) excited about it, frankly. What we're hearing in this passage in the eighth chapter of Acts is a whole new beginning. Listen to what's occurring. The the previous chapters, we're talking about the followers of Jesus who are primarily only at this point Jewish, or in the 6th chapter and 7th chapter, we find out that there's also some movement into Samaria. There were essentially three categories of people from the Jewish perspective in those days. And the three categories are as follows. Either you're Jewish, or you're Samaritan, or you're Gentile. In the early church, the struggle, one of the issues, the tensions that they had, had to do with the fact that this was, for them, many felt it was a Jewish gospel, Jesus was a Jewish Messiah, and it was for the Jewish people. But thanks to people like Philip, the gospel began to be spread into a territory known as Samaria. And so we find out earlier in the 8th chapter that Samaritans also had been welcomed in. In this moment, this is a new beginning because people like us, and by the way, in case you need to be reminded, we are called Gentiles. The first Gentile convert in the Bible. The first Gentile convert in the Bible is a man from Africa. Listen carefully. The first person like you and me to respond positively to the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world was a black man from Africa. How many of you knew that? There aren't too many hands being raised today. The first Gentile has this amazing encounter with a refugee who tells him about Jesus. He responds positively. And now this opens up the second very interesting and very important moment in this story. It's another one of those hidden truths, messages, actually in plain sight. It comes as a result of a question that the Ethiopian eunuch asks. The question is this. Look, there is water, what is to prevent me from being baptized? You've told me about Jesus. You've shared with me about how Isaiah 43 fits into the, the broader story. I want to be a part of this. I want to be in this too. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Now this Opens up what I like to call in the Bible the unspoken narrative. It's a musical in three parts, starring Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Coming to a theater near you, Daniel Silberg, ladies and gentlemen. We thought about his wearing sunglasses for this, but then thought, maybe that's a little too much. (laughs) So here's the fascinating thing. The first part is the fact that the first Gentile convert is from Africa. But the second part, this unspoken narrative, really that Luke, the author of Acts, expects us to know, assumes that we're going to be conversant with what lies behind this story. And what I think is the most poignant question in the Bible, what is to prevent me from being baptized? And the answer is Deuteronomy 23.1. It says very clearly, the eunuch is not to be allowed in the assembly of God. Listen carefully. In the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy 23.1, it states very clearly, and by the way, it doesn't just say what I just said. It's longer. It's also R-rated, and I invite you to read it on your own when you have a moment. We will not quote it here because of the controversial nature of the passage, but you're free to read it, boys and girls, and ask your parents about it later. <laughs> Deuteronomy 23.1... We enter in now to some controversial stuff because it's clear the Old Testament, at least Deuteronomy 23, 1, forbids this man from being a part of the assembly of the faithful. What lurks behind them, what is the unspoken narrative, what Luke, the author of this Acts of the Apostles, expects us to know is that Philip is dealing with a very delicate situation. Philip, if he were being faithful to Torah, would say in response to this question, you know, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate your enthusiasm. You are exceedingly passionate, and you know what? You're from a cool place. However... My Bible tells me that you are not allowed in my family of faith. I'm sorry. I wish I could let you in. But according to what my Bible says, you're not allowed. Have a nice day. Do you hear the dilemma Philip is confronted with? The question. That he has been asked, what is to prevent me from being baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch knows the scriptures too. Not only is he familiar with what it says, he knows how it feels. To be over and over again told, you're a nice guy, we appreciate your passion, but you don't belong. Here. Sorry as I can be, but I'm just following what the Bible says. The beautiful thing about this passage is Philip doesn't say what you would expect him to say. In fact, what's even more beautiful is Philip doesn't say anything. What does he do? The way the scripture flows, I love this. The way the scripture flows, the eunuch asks the question, what is to prevent me from being baptized? And Philip, instead of quoting scripture to him, walks into the water and baptizes him. Welcome to the family. And the response, what is it? The response, and he went, this is the Ethiopian eunuch now, he went away, what? Rejoicing. Listen, he thought he was going to be rejected, but he found he was welcomed. And how did he respond? He went away rejoicing. Say it with me. He went away rejoicing. This is an amazing passage. And you have to ask yourself, when the Bible is being put together, and and Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, it didn't just float down out of the sky. There is what's called, any of us who have worked at all on manuscripts and writing books, you know what you do. You have what's called an editor, which you come to despise, by the way. But there is an editing process that takes place in any manuscript. When anything, a letter, a book, uh, 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 an article, there is a very laborious process that you take to figure out what should I put first? What should I put second? What kind of order will capture the audience and bring them into the story? What do I leave out? Luke, the author of Acts, has an agenda. Like anyone writing an article or a book, he wants his audience to understand the nature and the power of the story. And you have to ask the question, why did Luke choose the Ethiopian eunuch from Africa to be the story of the first Gentile convert in the history of the Christian church? Why? And the second important question is, why has the church never focused or talked about or celebrated this story. It's amazing, the silence, the cacophony of silence in never speaking about the power of the hidden messages in plain sight in this amazing story of Philip, a refugee, and the Ethiopian eunuch, an outcast. Together, celebrating the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, as we bring together this passage, for me, there are two vital points. The first is simply the reminder, the power of the gospel in the lives of people like you and me, especially people who previously have felt they didn't belong, only to discover that, in fact, the Bible welcomes us in. By the way, Philip wasn't just making this up. He knew Deuteronomy 23. He also knew Isaiah 56 and Isaiah 58, which follow right on the heels of Isaiah 53, where it says, if you want to know what worship is, if you want to know what true fast and repentance is, it is this. Unchaining the injustice of the world, breaking the yoke of the captive, setting those who are oppressed free, giving food to the hungry, sharing shelter with those who have no place to live, giving yourselves over to the power of God's spirit in this world and allowing all of us to be set free, no matter who we are. Also in the Bible... It's clear Philip, as a refugee, was taking very seriously that whole thing we call the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He knew what it felt like to be excluded. The Spirit moving in his life allowed him to know not just Deuteronomy 23.1, but Isaiah 58. And recognizing the Spirit is doing something new then and now and calling on all of us to say the power of the gospel is real and is for Everybody. And the second point, the second point, as we conclude, is this. The power of the gospel and the vital necessity of the church. If they've figured out in Great Britain that there is a crisis of loneliness, the church now and here in Decatur must recognize the reality that surrounds us. There are people within a stone's throw of where we are right this second Who would give anything to be a part of a loving, open, caring, compassionate fellowship? And you know why they're not here? Because, first of all, no one has asked them to come here. And secondly, many of them have been hurt and burned. And the stereotype they have is those Christians, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And they don't care about anything but themselves. And we can respond to that and say, that's also why we're here. We're hypocrites, and we need lots and lots of professional help. And we are here together, open confession, and are ready to change and try our best to do better this week. The power of the gospel and the vital necessity of the church now in this place cannot be overstated. And I can't tell you what an honor and a pleasure it is to be here with you in this time, in this place, for this great need right now. Thanks be to God. Amen.